thank you for your interest in the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for this episode comes from Rockwood Lodge and Canoe Outfitters, located up the Gunflint Trail. Hi, my name is Heather Hukey. I'm a naturalist who works in Ames, Iowa. My husband and I first visited Rockwood Lodge and Outfitters in 2014. We had a great experience enjoying the Boundary Waters and the hospitality of Rockwood Lodge. We returned two years later with friends, and in 2017, I led a group of seven women to experience the BWCA. Rockwood provided us with Kevlar canoes and some excellent equipment for the trip, including food and gear packs. Everything was in excellent condition and helped make our trip to Horseshoe Lake, one all of us will never forget. On the night before and the night after we made our trip to the wilderness, we stayed in Rockwood's spacious, clean, and very comfortable bunkhouse. We had plenty of room to lay out our gear and enjoy the warm showers inside each room. Rockwood Lodge also helped us personalize a route for the trip to the Boundary Waters and was very supportive and friendly throughout the entire process. I look forward to many more trips to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness and visiting my friends at Rockwood. In fact, I just reserved our 2018 trip at the Rockwood Lodge for my two young daughters to experience their first adventure. Rockwood Lodge is located 31 miles from Grand Marais up the Gunflint Trail on the shores of Poplar Lake. Find out more information or book your Boundary Waters trip today online at rockwoodbwca.com or by calling 218-388-2242. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern light. Welcome to the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast, Episode 2. This is Matthew Baxley here with Joe Fredericks. Yep, thanks, Joe. On this episode, we are exploring a winter camping excursion seven miles into the Boundary Waters followed by expert advice from Bear Paulson of North Star Canoes on how to select a tandem Kevlar canoe. Sounds like a great episode to me. I'm pretty excited for it. Uh, You know, there's a couple of pretty amazing adventurers in our storytelling today. (laughs) Bear Paulson, you mean. I do, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's some uh, people who really set out to do a, a pretty epic journey into the Boundary Waters in the winter. And those people... Are you and I, Matthew Baxley? One and only. <laughs> so, what's happening in the storytelling part of uh, episode two here? Well, the great part about today, what we're about to hear, is this recording was taken in the Boundary Waters. So, the setting is winter 
and you're going to hear our voices from inside the tent. And I don't think we need much more intro than that. Hey, here we are on Windchill Lake. Early January 2018, Joe Fredericks here with... Matthew Baxley. Matthew, uh, we're inside the canvas wall tent here on Windchill. We've got the fire going in the wood stove. It's pretty cozy. Outside, it's probably, uh, I don't know, 10 or something, 5? My guess is 7. 7 degrees. (laughs) Inside, it's probably... I don't know what. 35, 40. Yeah, probably right about there. We've been out here. This is our second night now. Uh, Pretty much came out here just to try out some different gear that we hadn't used before. And uh, also to have some fun. And fun we definitely have had. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a journey. So uh, let's talk about, you know, how we got in here. I mean, uh, before we do, Joe. Yeah. I just think... The listeners need to hear the setting we're in as we describe this trip. Paint the scene. Yeah, we are in a canvas wall tent. Um, plenty of room for two people. Be tight for three. Enough room to stand up in at the peak. It's dark. The only light in this tent is by two candles. We've got an iron stove cranking out our heat that we're continuously feeding wood into. Yeah, that's the sound you can. If you hear this creaking, this kind of sound, that's the, that's the wood stove ripping in the background here. So it's cozy, it's comfortable, and we're bundled up just enough to be able to sit here and tell the story. Yeah, it's pretty comfortable. I mean... When we started this trip off the Gunflint Trail, <laughs> it's the day of the the start of the Gunflint Mail Run, um, January 6th. And the temperature at the starting time when we left, was, which was 8 a.m., 31 below zero. Whopping cold. <laughs> Some serious cold. I mean, Frigid. A dangerous type cold where you had to be... Very aware of, of your moves and how much skin you had exposed and your hands and uh, extremity. I mean, you needed to be aware of the cold, to say the least. I think I had an ice beard within the first 15 minutes. Yeah, you did. It was magnificent, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, so then we portaged in, um, five portages in to get here. So we are how many lakes into the Boundary Waters right now? Six lakes in. And we traveled those lakes via skis. Hawk skis. Backcountry style ski with a binding that is very much like a snowshoe, but a ski with skins on it. Perfect. Absolutely perfect for gliding over the Boundary Waters lakes. Not so perfect for scrambling through deep snow, rocky portages. Yeah, in fact, uh, I would make the recommendation if you if you're gonna consider a trip like this, <laughs> for one, the hawk ski is I would say an essential thing. It's it's most definitely to get across the lakes and cover some ground. You need a ski of some sort, and I would recommend these because they're very versatile for some powder or 
you know, kind of just some light drift type snow, hard pack yep. snow. You can move efficiently. Yeah. Um, on the portage though. What was there any reason you have, Joe, to believe that maybe those skis aren't great for portages? <laughs> well, there's a few. First of all, I had a hard time going uphill with them. I mean, yeah. let's just get that out. Tra- getting traction is hard. Yeah, and you're pulling a sled behind you, a toboggan. Yeah, I think gear. we neglected to say that we, through the entire trip, were both hauling toboggans that carried all of our essentials for the trip. Yep. So we've got all our gear out here. We used hawk sleds to cover 95% of the terrain that we covered. Pulling toboggan sleds, which had gear from ice fishing gear and auger. To this tent, sleeping equipment, cooking equipment, uh, cots, break to fold up cots, the essentials for winter camping. Yep. And uphill, it was hard on the skis to go uphill on the portage, pulling the toboggan. Downhill presented its own problem. I, I soon found <laughs> out on, on the second portage, the first portage with any hills of any kind, any elevation change. I think it's fair to say you learned how fast a toboggan can travel going downhill. So I'm going downhill. Essentially, uh, if you would imagine downhill skiing, I'm skiing down this this ridge line on the portage. And all of a sudden, the toboggan that I'm pulling behind me is moving faster than me. <laughs> and it comes up and it clips me Wham! at the knees. And fortunately, I can joke about this because... It could have gone an entirely different direction very quickly. The trip would have been changed. I would have broke my leg. I mean, there's... But something else broke instead. So my trekking pole, ski-type pole, bent in half. It 90 didn't break. degrees. Yeah, but it bent straight up. Bent. Mm-hmm. And uh, that could have been my leg. That's what we were saying. That could have easily been my leg. So... Then we started doing the portages without wearing the skis. Wise just move. On, Just on foot. Mm-hmm. No snowshoe. We didn't bring our snowshoes. We have them in the vehicle. We just didn't bring them. It's fair to say we learned from your experience. Yeah, and we started when we were walking. It's easier to get pull going up the hill when you're just on foot. And going down, you can either turn around and slow down the toboggan when, you're, when you know it's going to be coming because you're more versatile without the ski on. Or you can just let the the sled kind of ride the back of your knee and bump in every two, three steps or something. And and keep track of where the sled is. Right. So the Hawk Ski, I would recommend getting a pair, renting a pair. Um, If you're going to do a trip like this and go in a few lakes, you got to have them, in my opinion. Yeah. But on the Portage, either have a pair of snowshoes that you change into or just take it on foot. I think it's fair to say that since it is January, the snow hasn't gotten incredibly deep on the portages yet. It's very manageable. Oh, I'm I'm seeing here that we have to take a brief intermission to feed our stove. Yeah, it's just we'll just uh, go right ahead and do it. So while we've been out here on Winchell, which is south of Poplar Lake in the Mid Trail area. South of Poplar, it's kind of sandwiched in between Brule Lake is to our south, and Poplar Lake is to our north. The two most predominant lakes 
Yeah, a lot of people know. Yeah, I mean, those well-traveled. Pretty, yeah. I think for that reason, Joe, would it be fair to say that Winchell is much less well-traveled? It, it does not get traffic. There was no evidence that anyone had been in here all winter. As soon None. as after after we got out of the the first lake, there was no evidence anyone had walked in here. Uh, we do know some people that have been in here in the past, but this year it looks like we're the first people on Winchell. I would say. So yeah, it's and, pretty remote. I, I mean, I I think it's fair to say that one of the unique things about the route that we chose is that most of the lakes are, at least our travels on the lakes, were fairly short. Uh, the lakes were fairly small in, in the scheme of things. Very picturesque. And then we come down that last portage into Winchell. And I hadn't been in this lake before. I didn't even know there was a burnout here. And you see these towering ridge lines across the lake, just skeleton trees sprinkled across and what had been quite a calm lake before we launch into a huge six mile stretch that is virtually a wind tunnel windy windchill windy windchill the legend is is true definitely um we came from gaskin was the last lake before windchill and like you said they all kind of had that similar look you know some nice white pine and smaller lakes i mean comparatively and and uh, beautiful country getting here, you know, white pines and big birch and cedars. and But then when we hit Winchill, it was like a different different it, area. It was otherworldly. Yeah, a whole different element. Everything about it changed. It was as if to me, as the lake was saying, you've made it here, now you must survive here, yeah. and I will not make it easy for you. Yeah, <laughs> but... We got here, we we went right to work. We, it took us about six hours to get here from our starting point. Non-stop six hours. Yeah, pushed it hard to get here, covered some good ground, moved about uh, a mile and a half per hour. Yeah, give or take. And went right to work setting up camp, established a camp on the east end of Windchill. Yeah, we, we chose well with, with a little nook uh, under so, some of the few remaining large pines uh, that didn't get burned up on this end. It was a great choice, however, uh, it was not completely protected from some of the wind gusts. So getting the the canvas wall tent up had, came with some challenges. We had to do some problem solving. Um, I'd say if you're going to plan to uh, stake a tent like this down on ice, bring an ice screw. You know that you can hollow out spots for your stakes. Yeah, or or just some screws, some anchors, so, somehow to dig into the ice if you're gonna because it's deep there's a lot of snow and i mean there's a campsite literally 10 feet behind us here we're, we're on the lake camp is on the lake with a campsite right behind us on, right. on shore because the forest now is just it's too deep there's too much snow in there where the wind can get a little more blown swept so it's it's just a matter of inches to get down to the to a smooth flat surface right so yeah, you just got to be flexible. I think uh, if you know you're thinking about doing your first winter trip, keep in mind that it's it's great, but you got to be there's got to be some flexibility to what you're gonna take on. Definitely, it's different than a canoe trip in that you know that you got to be flexible on a canoe trip because campsites might be taken, the weather and so forth. But everything is up in the air to a certain point, 
when it comes to this type of winter camping. That's what we've experienced here. Definitely. But we're living good. You know, there's there's surprises both ways. So there's surprising challenges and there's surprising payoffs. Like, uh, you know, we have to stay warm using wood fuel. Well, being on a lake that's had some burn, beautiful for harvesting wood. And that was a very pleasant surprise. We have not had to really expend that much energy all within finding wood 30 yards either direction yeah and that's our life source you know to stay warm out here that last night with those wind gusts and the temperatures being as low as they were uh staying warm would have been a challenge without a stove there were some some strong winds last night i yeah. mean enough to make you think twice about enough what's... to almost blow your stove pipe off <laughs> Yeah, so that's, again, comes down to that being flexible, and uh, even though you're <clears throat> you're inside and you want to stay in and where it's cozy, you got to go back out to deal with situations that come up. You had to jump out. You did a great job of getting that stovepipe reinforced, put up some some more security on it, uh, some limbs that support it, you know, as a base, and yeah, so it's good stuff. And and I think now, you know, maybe we should talk a little about fishing. Yes, we should. Today on Winchell Lake, I caught a huge northern pike. Monstrous northern pike. <laughs> a northern pike for the ages. <laughs> uh, I, You know, in the Boundary Waters, there's a lot of big pike. I think the word used earlier was a dinosaur. <laughs> it was. This thing looked like a dinosaur. It was probably somewhere between 15 to 18 pounds. 40, 40 plus, right around 40, maybe a little longer, but the girth on this thing was just unbelievable. How but, did you discover the girth on that thing, Joe? Well, it wouldn't... I, I got him, I wore him out. It took about 12, 15 minutes to, to get this fish tired out to the point where it was time to turn him and try to get him up through the hole. And when I went to do that, he, he wouldn't fit. The head wasn't going to come through the hole. <laughs> and this is a normal auger hole. I mean, you have... You can fit a almost. It didn't even factor into consideration. Are we gonna not get a? Are we gonna catch a fish so big it won't fit through the hole? And there's big lake trout in Winchell. That's one of the primary reasons we're here is to chase lake trout. I mean, and to experience the beauty, of course. But there's the fishing would be better here than it would on a walleye lake at this time of year because the walleye don't bite well. Anyway, get this northern up to the hole and he's not coming through. Well, and, that's a surprise you like to have. When yeah. You're and uh, I just kind of had to reach down in there, and I could get him right around the snout area and, and clamp there and pull him up. And I got my other hand. I ripped my gloves off, and I got my other hand kind of down right underneath his eye, like on his, on his chin, I guess you would say. And then I could get his head through the hole, and then his body could contort a little more where the head is. You know, the skull was so solid, it wasn't obviously going to bend. But his belly kind of went in, and I could squeeze him through the hole that way. <laughs> Big old belly on that thing. And then when I got him up, it was just like, it was unbelievable. And he had a huge scar on his back from all his, you know, adventures in this lake over the years. He's an old, old fish, and he's, he's still swimming around down there. I took a couple quick photos of him, and um, off he went after that, so... I also caught a lake trout today. Fishing was a little slow, but, you know, just still learning this lake. and uh, That's a big lake to learn. It's a big lake to learn. There's a lot of depth. I mean, almost 200 feet deep, you know. The median depth is probably 
80 feet. So there's a lot of depth to the lake, a lot of steep drop-off. I mean, here, just on the off from camp, about 20 yards, it drops to 45 feet. And this isn't even a deep part of the lake that we're on. So, uh, But a lot of big fish in there. I would, uh, if you're ever fish. looking for a spot to come try out in, in that Boundary Waters preseason trout opener, and you're feeling like a hardy adventure to get in, get off the beaten path a little bit, I, I'd recommend coming into Winchell for, for that. I would say, too, you know, Joe, because I skied down the lake today, that there are some sheer cliffs that go down into the lake, and you know that there's some amazing depth down there. And there would be some amazing fishing spots to discover. Yeah. We've just tapped the surface of, of what this exploration of fishing this lake would, would be. I mean, um, So that's something, uh, if you ever have any information or you want to learn more about our trip uh please give us a call either if you want to you know point something out or or pick our brain about how the fishing was uh you can contact me at the radio station and uh i imagine there'll be some photos uh posted on that too we've got a photo of that northern yeah yeah so photos but, of the campsite yeah photos of the site we got all kinds of uh you know we document our trip pretty well so uh, but uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about what, what brought us here. I mean, we were, uh, this fall the fall of 2017, just kind of brainstorming about doing some winter camping and, and taking it beyond, you know, uh, like a, a lake like Duncan or, or something that's fairly accessible. Where we, you know, I've camped in there in the winter a couple times in the past, but... Uh, something different than seagull or sag. Something new. Something a little more getting out there a ways. And uh, we settled on on Brule, but or on Winchell, and we were thinking about coming up through Brule, but w we came up from the north, traveled south to get here. But this idea of winter camping, Matthew, what's uh, what's well, your thoughts about winter camping and, and the preparation and just the whole process here well i mean it's a it really is it can be an amazing experience and uh i think i think what's most important to know is that it's all about the prep work being prepared and having the right gear you know we had the privilege of having our uh, a lot of our gear supplied just by sawtooth outfitters uh and they take great care of their gear and really they took the time to buy the best and so having uh having a, a sturdy tent and a good stove that's you know how it's going to work before you get i think the key is trying out the gear before you get out into the middle of the winter camping experience so set it up at home in the backyard you know Rig up your toboggan the night before so you know how if you're if you're outfitting gear or if you buy new gear use it before you get out into the middle of the wilderness because that preparation pays off you save cumulatively you save hours of hard problem solving by being ready when you get out here yeah and it's nice to have the the wood stove in, in the canvas tent it really is and if you need to rent it to try it out before you're willing to commit because there's a couple thousand for a nice canvas tent. And the stove and everything it adds up quick so if you need to start out renting it that that's an okay i mean it's the, a great way to go uh but you know i've i've done some winter camping in the boundary waters the last couple of years and stayed in a four season tent and, and you know that's all right 
and and uh, built the snow cave at Quincy, and uh, that that can be all right if you do it right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but they you miss that element. It's like when you do that type of camping and you get in to the structure where you're going to sleep at night, you dive right into the bag because you can't. There's not a lot of comfort in just hanging out in there and cooking and you got to have a fire outside and that's okay but you don't hold that warmth right. you got to huddle around and a lot of stuff to think about uh and and for you know that's for kind of more the beginning type of person who's just thinking about winter camping in the boundary waters is it is it fun i would say yes it is indeed I would, I would say do your homework though <laughs> before you just venture out there. It pays. Uh, you know, we've heard some stories of people who get out there and either the cold gets to them or they're just maybe overwhelmed by the elements or, or mm -hmm. what's happening and uh, they they bail out early or they they just don't have a good experience. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to. I think a lot of it, I mean, I personally did a lot of YouTube videos of people that had been winter camping either in the Boundary Waters or Ontario or this type of terrain and, and watched how they made camp, basically. There's some mm -hmm. good stuff on YouTube. Just type in Boundary Waters winter camping to find some good stuff or um, just, you know, type in winter camping in general and you, you come across some good tips in there. And it just kind of gives you uh, something to visualize about what it's going to be like for you so that when you're there it's not such a shock to your mind and body yeah and may maybe it'd be a good idea for most people not to select a six mile uh travel into their first winter camping trip yeah uh, unless they really know and are prepared then i think that that could work but Maybe maybe good to try some soft trips before you commit to a real hard trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's probably that's that's a good tip too. And uh, for food, we we were thinking maybe we'd eat some lake trout, but the the lake trout we caught could have been eaten. But it's nice to let those little lake trout grow up. So the lake trout went back. The kind of the problem we had with fish was the the lake trout were too small. And then the northern was too big. Far too big. <laughs> Far too big. <laughs> we didn't need twelve pounds of northern for dinner. Uh, between two people. So all the fish went back into Winchell Lake, but... Uh, Which means they're here for the next one. They're here. They're waiting, and they'll be bigger. So um, we brought, you know, plenty of soups and freeze-dried meals and uh, things where you just add water. We've been getting our water right out of the lake. It's delicious, clear water. And then we boil it or put it on the stove to get it hot. And um, But it's nice to have backup, you know, don't ever even in the summer come trying to think you're going to eat fish in the boundary waters no guarantees it, it, there's no guarantee and we had uh some water that we brought you've got that nice bottle that holds hot water you put hot yeah. water insulated stays. water bottles are a great choice for the winter camping and easily accessible on the trail yeah put it in a on the toboggan somewhere where you when you stop it's you're not rooting around through stuff it's right there you find it Stay hydrated on the way in, and then really hit the liquids when you get here. Because 31 below, we were still, after a while, getting warm at spots, sweating. Oh, uh, there's a lot of sweating happening, hauling those toboggans around. Yep. So you, you're draining, you're losing fluids, even though it's so cold. So really stay on top of the hydration. And 
uh, just be aware of, of what your body's doing and what it's telling you while you're out here because it's it's pretty serious stuff if something were to happen like if uh you know we were kind of pretty lighthearted earlier about the toboggan clipping me out and i went airborne and flying into the trees and it was a you know we can laugh about it because i walked away from it but but <laughs> only had, because you only because away. had you know we've, we've replayed it what would have happened if it would have been my leg uh you know we would have had to have either gotten some help or, or uh, tied me up, you out tied me up to it put me in one of the toboggans and, and got me out of there so things can change in a hurry um, and, and you just got to be kind of ready for whatever happens out here ready for anything and, and very serious about it when it's 31 below zero and you, now suddenly you're immobile you can't move you can't walk you got to be making good clear decisions. Well, I gotta say that's again one of the best reasons to have this tent because it's amazing to you know be serious when you're out in the elements and then cozy up and just relax and crack jokes and talk about life and and not have to worry when you're snuggle you know it's nice and cozy in here so it's a good balance to have the seriousness of the outside and this really comfortable inside yeah i'd say winter camping in the boundary waters i would uh definitely highly recommend i would definitely recommend giving it a shot just uh do your homework make sure you know what you're getting into before you head out there Be prepared and uh, a lot of ways to contact an outfitter or con you can contact us at the podcast we'll help you out if we have any advice for you and uh otherwise do some online research and go out there and have some fun yeah now that this trip is over and i have had time to reflect i realize how valuable these trips are in the busyness of life i rarely make time to just be with myself being in the wilderness makes it so easy and fluid to be present with myself and the people I'm with. If you have your own stories from the Boundary Waters Cunha Area Wilderness, contact us at bwcapodcast at gmail.com. Also feel free to send any questions or feedback our way too. Next up is Joe with part two of episode two. And we're going to talk some gear here now on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. And joining us now is Bear Paulson. He's the general manager for North Star Canoes. Bear, great to talk with you today, man. Hey, Joe. How are you doing? Hey, doing great. So let's talk about uh, a situation we're interested in hearing about tandem canoes today. And, and so let's uh, do a, a hypothetical situation just for some context uh, of who might be purchasing this canoe. And, and we'll kind of cover a spectrum here in our conversation. But we'll start out. Uh, it's a, a couple, they, you know, a husband, a wife, or, or just uh, two, two individuals who go canoeing together frequently. And they've done maybe, you know, three, four trips. They've rented uh, Kevlar canoes from an outfitter up the Gunflint Trail or something. And now they're looking to purchase. They're ready to buy. So what's a good starting uh, point for, for a, a couple that, uh, you know, would be traveling together, a tandem canoe? What, what should they be factoring in as they're about to make this purchase? You know, the conversation that I usually start with is how long a trips are you going to take? How often are you going to use it? Uh, are we talking about, you know, any kids or dogs in the future? Mm -hmm. You know, because really the first decision is capacity. I mean, once they decided on Kevlar and, and they're going to travel lightweight, 
then the next decision is simply how much stuff you're going to put in it, and is that a longer trip or is that a third person on occasion? Uh, what kind of flexibility do you need? Because if we're talking about you know two hundred and you know say a hundred and sixty pound and a hundred and twenty pound you know male and female, mm-hmm. they can paddle a far different boat than you know say me at two hundred and ten pounds and another guy at 200 pounds and then a 50-pound dog. You know, so that sort of thing is the, is the first piece of the decision because for a couple, they can get by with something seven, sub-17 feet uh, that will get them something a little bit lighter, a little bit, uh, a little bit easier to maneuver around. Uh, but at the point where they start talking about adding, you know, a good deal of weight in addition to themselves, now we're up into the closer to the 18-foot range. Okay, and, and so let's say, uh, you know, we're going to be talking Kevlar canoes today. That's uh, that's kind of our, our what we're talking about is what North Star canoes are. Uh, I mean, have aluminum canoes and Roilex, I mean, that's kind of just a whole other realm. Roilex is almost out of the market at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, basically what's going on is aluminum is used primarily by Boy Scouts at this point. You know, they're just there looking for indestructible uh, there are a bunch of outfitters up that way that have Royal X. I mean, I certainly own some of my own Royal X boats. There is a new version of it uh, that is partly on the market, and they're having trouble producing anywhere near enough, and so not too many people are doing much with it yet. Um, but it appears to be a good product. It's called T4Max. But really, if we're talking about the Boundary Waters, Quetigo, you know, classic lake country, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I always like to emphasize to people is if you get a lightweight boat, you'll paddle it more. Mm-hmm. And what that simply means is on a trip, it means you'll say, you know, let's take a day trip over to that little lake. I mean, I remember port- portaging around a Grumman, uh, you know, when I was in my 20s. Sure. And uh, you, you based your route on, eh, let's avoid that portage. That one looks like it's really <laughs> going to be hard. Or, you know what, I, I, I'm happy to walk across this portage and go look at the lake, but I don't want to carry the boat across it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> You know, and with a Kevlar boat, you just say, yeah, let's go. Let's yeah. go take a look at that. Yeah, nice. And, and it's definitely, uh, I mean, the trend is, is Kevlar. I mean, on, on my trips, it's now 70, 80% of the canoes you encounter while you're on your trip is, you know, another Kevlar is what you, you most often see in the in the wilderness. And so, uh, you know, one, uh, a North Star canoe I'm, I'm familiar with that I paddled is the, the North Wind 17. Is, yeah. is that uh, one that, uh, you know, again, in this hypothetical situation, a uh, uh, male and female, uh, in their 30s, 40s, something like that. Would that be a, a starting point for somebody to, to look at? Oh, yeah, without question, without question. Um, it is our most popular model. Uh, it's 17 and a half feet long. It'll work for just about anything up until the point where you say kitchen sink, 100-pound dog, or football players. Um, it's, a, it's a very comfortable boat to do a lot of different things with. It's, 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 it's the boat that I own uh, mm-hmm. because I can take a – like I say, a 200-pound buddy, or I can take my wife. I put, you know, three small, you know, me plus two smaller people in it before. It gives a lot of flexibility. Yeah, and so let's uh, add another variable to this equation. And, and this uh, couple we've been hypothetically discussing here, they, they live in the metro area, or, you know, somewhere outside of Cook County, Lake County, somewhere, uh, let's just say the cities. And, you know, they want to take it on the river or something, too. Is, yeah. it, is that an—I mean, what's the flexibility of a Kevlar, uh, the Northwind 17? Can they float down the Mississippi on that? They can tow it. So what I—the distinction that I make is, are you paddling on a moving lake or are you paddling on a small river? You know, because the Mississippi, the Minnesota, 
the St. Croix on the lower section, you know, so about below Grantsburg, really, mm-hmm. um, are all ostensibly flat water. You know, there's a little portion of, there's, there's one rapid on the Minnesota that somebody could catch me on. There's, there's a couple of small ones. Um, there's about seven miles, actually, of, of little stuff uh, on the St. Croix. But outside of that, those are, those are flat water. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can paddle a lightweight Kepler boat and be fine. Yeah. Um, many of the rivers in Minnesota as well, you can paddle a lightweight Kevlar boat on. You've just got to plan a little bit and make sure you paddle in the correct section of it. Um, but at the point where you say to me, you know, where this hypothetical couple walks up and says, hey, you know, we want to be able to paddle some of the little rivers. You know, we might hit some rocks. We, 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 we want to be able to paddle, you know, like class ones and maybe maybe a very low class two. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm going to say, okay, how much are you going to do that? Uh, versus the boundary waters, what do you care the most about? How how are you really truly going to use the boat? And at the same time, I'm going to have a conversation about realize that adding five pounds to a boat really does have an impact on how much you'll use it because it's the ability to put the boat on the car by yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the ability to say, hey, let's go out. Let me go. I want to go out with a friend, and, and I'll meet you over there as opposed to, hey, can hey. Hey, can can we put the boat on the car together? You know what? You got to come over to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, then I'm going to start talking about the sub 17s, the you know like 16 and a half foot there thereabouts. We've got we've got a Polaris, we've got a Northwind 16. Those boats do a better job because they're a little shorter at maneuvering through some of the tighter areas. Um, you know, they're not hardcore whitewater boats. We actually do have a wilderness tripper called the B17, mm-hmm. uh, and that would be the you know what, I want to I wanna paddle all the white water in, say, Wabakimi, or, you know, I want to paddle, paddle tripping white water is what I would call that, what the Minogians and the, and the Ouija Wagons do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not talking about just paddling, banning on the kettle and, and spinning circles and that end of things, but we're, we're talking about loading up the boat and going somewhere with it. Yeah. Uh, but for this hypothetical, hypothetical couple in the cities, where I'm going to point them is either the Polaris or the 16. If they're doing a bunch of rivers and they're not going to take anything but themselves along on Boundary Waters trips and they're willing to say that they'll stick to a week or less Boundary Waters-wise. Okay. And, and so, you know, this is a pretty reasonable investment. I mean, we're, you're starting at 2000 and maybe going up from there, typically for a Kevlar canoe, new Kevlar canoe. So it's it you know how delicate do people need to be when they when they've rented them from an outfitter you kind of you know you get it and you go and you're excited and you don't think too much about when you're pulling up to the portage or getting in and out uh, you kind of just go with the trip but when you own it there's a whole other factor of <laughs> delicacy or you know you want to kind of tiptoe around it I mean how how stronger is a Kevlar canoe here in 2018? You know it's exceptionally strong but it's also exceptionally light and and those two things are you know mutually contradictory. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where what I tell people, we've got, we've got four different laminations. Uh, so that's the ways that we build the boat. That's how much material we put in it. That's what material we put in it. Uh, and in our lightweight lamination, which is what you see in the Boundary Waters, it's almost exclusively what you see in the Boundary Waters. We call it Starlight. Uh, it is an all-Kevlar lamination. It is designed so that you can be paddling full blast and you can hit a rock in the middle of the lake mm-hmm. and be fine if you're paddling a river and you hit rebar you're not going to be fine yeah. <laughs> you know man-made things generally do the most damage 
uh, in terms of the true concerns that people have. I mean, this is one of those things where what scares people the most about lightweight boats are putting a hole in it. Mm-hmm. And the reality of putting holes in boats is you did something really stupid. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you know, it really, for the most part, if you're if you're behaving like a rational, careful wilderness tripping individual, you're not going to put a hole in your boat. Um, if you're dealing with a rental and you're like, oh, I don't care, it's not mine. Yeah, it's more possible to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the person that's not willing to get their feet wet, for instance, yeah. that's you know, you increase the potential for damage dramatically by doing that. Um, really, what wears down Kevlar boats and almost every outfitter will say the same thing is is simply abrasion and age and just how much they get drug around and that other things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what ages everybody's boat except the true abuse where, you know, they take them down the waterfall or they do the, you know, the silly things. Outfitters always have sort of, have a variety of stories about um, people that have rented boats and decided to run this rapid or that rapid and either bought the boat or given given the outfitter a very large chunk of change for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so is there a, I mean, is it possible to say, you know, you're getting ready to make your purchase of uh, your first Kevlar tandem canoe can you overthink it? Is there a line where eventually you just need to, you know, get, hey, this is the one we're going with, and, and that's the way it is? Yeah, you could totally overthink it. I mean, there's, there are people that will take years to make the decision, literally. Um, and and it's, it's, it's fun to watch. Um, I actually enjoy, you know, the people that do a ton of research. It's fun. I mean, you know, it's, it's, they're getting excited about it, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, if that means that they're not paddling, I kind of question whether it's worth doing all that research. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And, uh, and, you know, classically speaking, um, the, I'm trying to phrase this well, mm-hmm. they get wrapped up in models, they get wrapped up in laminations, they get wrapped up in all sorts of different things. And in truth, um, getting on the water is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And finding a boat that, you know, capacity-wise does what they want it to, Lamination-wise, how it's built handles what they wanted to use it for. So if they're going to do rivers, they might want something built a little more heavily. And then, really, outside of that, it's the boat that excites them about paddling. You know, that really is one of the big criteria in terms of getting you out on the water is simply, I want to be in that boat. Mm-hmm. And whether that's wood trim, whether that's, you know, tweaking the boat out whatever way, um, if it's going to get you out on the water more often, you should do it when you buy the boat. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, Bear, you've done a, a good number of trips, and we know you do some winter uh, trips in the Boundary Waters, but uh, any trips you did in you know the last couple of years up the Gunflint Trail, east end of the Boundary Waters that uh, you know stuck with you or you really enjoyed? You know, I love it every time I go. That's the easy answer. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the the longer answer is I take high school students out, uh, usually out of Ely in the winter and then out of uh, the Gunflint area in the spring. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I try to take the kids into remote areas. I try to let them see the range of the Boundary Waters because, you know, it's certainly managed differently closer to the entry points than it is on, say, the Frost River or the Louse River and that end of things. And so I, tr- I like to go out and get a mix, you know, get, 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 get into some of those places where you know you're probably not going to see more than one or two groups if you're traveling yeah. in a day. And at the same time, to be on the, the higher volume areas and, uh, and go, yeah, there's a bunch of people out here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of those things where the kids are like, wow, there's, there's a lot of people. And it's like, yeah, 
you know, that's a good thing, you guys, when it comes right down to it, because it means there's more people that care about this place. Yeah, sure. So if you were to go on a, let's just, uh, you know, choose a route off uh, Clearwater and headed east or something from there, uh, what would be a canoe you'd take if it was you and, uh, you know, someone else? Just you and another individual, you got a four or five day trip ahead of you. What's the canoe you're going to head in with? For me at this point, it's the Northwind 17. Mm-hmm. And it really is it really is the boat that I can drop in and go do any, go anywhere I want to in lake country with. It's a, it's a very comfortable boat no matter who I'm paddling with uh, and really up to about two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, that sounds good, Bear. So uh, anything new then for 2018 with North Star Canoes? Well, you know, we're messing with a bunch of stuff, of course. Really, the, the, uh, the, the new boat for 2018 is, is, like I said, the B-17, which isn't exactly a boundary waters boat per se, although certainly there will be some people that use them, use them that way. You know, it's a big, stable, high volume. Um, it's a friendly boat. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can be a great family boat. Uh, it can be a boat that you say, you know what, we got two kids and a dog and, you know, we want to go out and paddle for, you know, a couple of days or, you know, we want to go do some of the white water. It'll, it'll handle either one of those things well. Um, but it's not the, not the quickest thing in the world. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And any, uh, shows you're going to do the canoe expo or be up the Gunflint trail in 2018? I'm going to try for it. Yeah. Yeah. Last year I had a friend getting married, but, uh, this year, as far as I know, there's nothing on the calendar yet. So I'm hoping to make it up again. Cause yeah, it's great. It's a great event. All right. Well, we've been talking with, uh, Bear Paulson. He's the general manager of North Star Canoes talking about tandem canoes here on the Boundary Waters WTIP podcast. Thanks for, uh, all the information, Bear. On behalf of Joe and I, we want to wrap up episode two of the podcast with a special thanks to you, our listeners. Thank you to all of you who have subscribed to the podcast and all of you who have sent us emails and given us feedback. You can get updates on the podcast by subscribing to us on iTunes, or you can also find us on SoundCloud or the WTIP website. We really couldn't make this happen without you, and for that, we are so grateful. We'll see you next time. To sing when I paddle canoe Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true We're gonna get through to the other side Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams